Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Amen. Man, what a beautiful morning to be in church. You may be seated. You may take a seat. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Tony. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Legacy. And uh, if you don't know this about me, I cry every time we have baptisms, okay? So just just roll with me, okay? I'm going to try to get through today's sermon. Would you open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 20? I'm going to be reading out of verses 20 through 28. Again, that's Matthew, chapter 20, 20 through 28. Uh, And it says this, uh, The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, Jesus, with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we're able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not for me to grant, but it is for those for whom the Father has prepared and when the ten heard, the, the other ten disciples, this is, you know, the, uh, the, these two disciples, mom came to him. now there's ten other disciples when they heard, they were indignant at the two brothers, and I would venture to say, it's probably because they're like, why didn't we think of that? And they're a little jealous. Like, yeah, wait, wait, I, I want to be at the right hand of, of the father, like at the left hand. Like, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I send my mommy for my errand, you know, like these guys did? But Jesus then calls to them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Here's our key verse for today. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you would first be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. This upside down kingdom of Jesus just makes no sense. I'm gonna try to make sense of it for you this morning. Even as the son of man came to be served, not not to be served, excuse me, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, once again, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the moments that we're sharing together. I pray as now we turn our attention to your word. I pray that your word would direct us. It would guide us. Pray for every person, Lord, in this room and those online right now. Father, wherever they're at on their journey of faith, I pray that you would speak to every one of us. Open our hearts, open up our ears, Lord, and help us to not just uh, see texts or hear words, but help us, Lord, to be open to a new way of thinking, a new way of living, oh God. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sophia. Hey, again, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Tony. Uh, My wife, Sophia, and I are the lead pastors here, and we want to welcome you, especially if you're visiting us today. Today's a special day. How many of you know that beautiful things happen when people decide to follow Jesus and never look back again? Man, I'm telling you, I'm filled with faith, and I'm hoping that I can get through today's sermon, but I'm just pumped. Is that okay for for a pastor to just be pumped on a really awesome day in church? And so uh, today we're wrapping up our series. Some of you are looking at me like, when are you never pumped? I get it. I know. I I know. I know. I get it. I'm just extra pumped today. Uh, Today, uh, we're wrapping up our series that we've called, What If Jesus Was Serious? What what if Jesus was serious about the things that he taught on? What if he actually meant what he said when he taught on specific things? And some of you have said to me, listen, he's taught on a lot more things than just the four things we've addressed. And absolutely. But if you're a part of Legacy Church and this is your home, you know that this has been a series that is leading us into next week, which is Vision Sunday. And I want to let you know, if you have plans, cancel them. You better be in church next Sunday. Vision Sunday is important. We're going to be talking about where we're going as a church in 2023, kind of what our focus and our mission is going to be. And I believe the, the foundation's being laid right now for why we're going to do what we're going to do. And so today I want to ask you the question, what if Jesus was serious about a life of service. And now, uh, of course, that punchline was already prematurely up on the screen, so y- you didn't really think it was as cute as I thought it would be. But that's my question for you today, is what if Jesus was serious about a life 
of service. And maybe you're here today and you're new to faith and maybe you're exploring faith or maybe you're not even a person of faith. You came at a great Sunday because I I believe you'll be able to experience a little bit of what it means to follow Jesus. When I was uh, much younger than I am now, I'm a whole 34 years old, uh, for those of you that were wondering, uh, you now know. Uh, When I was in middle school, they had this thing called peer mediation. How many of you remember peer mediation? Maybe you're in education today and they they name it something different, but essentially it's when, when students have issues with each other, and instead of having to go to a teacher or go to the principal's office to resolve it, they had this program called peer mediation, and it was they would choose kids, uh, you know, peers uh, that were trusted and that had great leadership skills, you, you know, like me, you know, so, yeah, anyway, I've had great leadership skills since I was 12, which is why this story is going to just uh, land so well with you guys. Anyway, uh, so I was chosen to be one of these peer mediators at the ripe age of 12, and man, how many of you know I was filled with wisdom and leadership skills back then at the age of, I mean, if I'm the leader I am today, some of you are like, you're new, so you don't know if you, whether or not you can laugh with me or at me, I'm, this is your permission to laugh at me and with me, okay? All right, there you go, there you go. And, and so I, I remember seeing the opportunity of being chosen as a peer mediator as an opportunity to kind of rule over my peers and show to them all the wisdom that I have. And, and especially because I, I, you know, I'm a Christian. So back then, especially, right? Like I'm a Christian. So like, this is how good, how much better I am than you. As opposed to seeing it as an opportunity to serve people in need, I saw it as an opportunity to elevate myself above people. And isn't that how we view people sometimes? If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times, and in the culture we live in, we see people as a means to an end. The corporate world teaches us that in order to climb the ladder, we must first step on someone's head in order to get to where we're going. We live in a culture that says, you do you, boo, and you look after you and your own, right? And and people, if they get in your way, well, then just get them out of your way one way or another. But... As we read this morning, the main scripture that Jesus points out, he says to his disciples, and I want to say to you, Legacy Church, today, it shall not be so among you. People are not a means to an end. People are not something for us to step on and for us to rule over. I'm here to tell you today, people are an opportunity for us to serve. And if we are truly disciples of the way of Jesus, let me make a big statement. And I know, I understand maybe some of you here today haven't yet made that decision, but I want to let you know if you're debating on whether or not one of those things, and if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, let me tell you, you cannot escape the reality that as a disciple of Jesus, we are called to serve each other and other people. A life of service is not just a choice, it is a must for every person that calls themselves a believer. Why? Because people are not projects. People are not means to an end. People are image bearers of God himself that we are called to serve. And so Jesus is actually speaking, and it's, it's, it's crazy to me. Jesus is speaking to a culture that not even the Jewish culture in its time had resolved the issue of slavery. In fact, slavery was so common in this day and age that if you, that anyone in whatever socioeconomic bracket, whatever, wherever they came from, anyone was susceptible to becoming a slave. Ladies, if you became a, a widow, you immediately would become a slave. If you couldn't pay a debt, legally you would become a slave. An orphan could become a slave. The value of people wasn't even known or acknowledged even in the Jewish culture. And so Jesus strikes the scene and offers something that has never been offered before. And that is not just freedom from slavery, but now wait, Jesus, you're contradicting yourself. We now become slaves to one another? Yeah. Let me explain that to you a little something here, and let me, let me give you a couple points. I'm saying a couple because it's usually three, but I doubt I'll get through all three today. If you know me, you know I'll struggle through getting all three. 
But it, when it comes to service, when it comes to serving others, whether that's in our homes, in our communities, in our local church, in our workplace, in our families and relationships, we've got to understand, number one, that behind the scenes is not less than front and center. Let me just tell you right now that whatever happens behind the scenes and when you choose to serve when no one else is watching you and when no one else can see what you're doing, that does not, God does not look at that as less value than someone on a stage with bright lights and a camera and a microphone. You see, James and John's mother, these are the sons of Zebedee that Matthew's speaking of. James and John's mother wanted her boys to be up front and center. Little did she know that the value was in them walking daily with Jesus, not being seated at his right and left hand. Let me say that again, because some of you have got to get this in your hearts. The value is in walking daily with Jesus and journeying with Jesus. And there is greater value in that when it takes place even behind the scenes than what our minds go to when it comes to serving. See, a lot of times we've been accustomed in this culture that serving means you are in the spotlight. Right? Newspaper's going to write about you. Your neighborhood page is going to write about you. In the church world, as long as you've got a microphone and you're up here, then you're serving. And that's effective ministry. And let me tell you, I don't want to lessen what happens on a stage, but there's something to be said when we lessen the value of behind the scenes and, and forget about the fact that there's a greater value in walking with Jesus than being known by Jesus' popularity. There was more value in these two walking with Jesus than them being known because Jesus was popular. But maybe it wasn't their mom's idea. Maybe there's a theological debate here that maybe these 19 to 24-year-olds just didn't know how to actually advocate for themselves, so they had to send mommy to go and talk to their boy Chewy about it, right? Like, hey, mom, so like... We kind of want to be seated at the right hand of Jesus and the left hand. So like, mom, would you like go talk to him for us? You know, uh, gentlemen, let me just pick on you for a second. If you're between the ages of 19 and 24 and you need your mommy running your errands, uh, let me just help you out. Now's about the right time for you to stop doing that. Okay, ladies, ladies, if you're a mother and you're still having to do that, uh, I just want to encourage you to kick him out of the nest a little bit, all right? And just, you know, let him fend for himself. But all joking aside, we see here that these two, there was a desire to use their proximity to Jesus as a platform for them to have a name. And Jesus' example wasn't even to bring himself glory. In fact, Jesus brings the Father glory. More so, we see that his example was not just to elevate people in power, but to elevate the powerless. So when we talk about serving, we must first understand that no task is less important, even if it's not front and center. It's funny because most of us in our culture, our minds, when we talk about this, immediately go to what I've already referenced, right? The lights, the stage, what's front and center. But let me give you an example of of even an earlier story in, in the Bible where we look in the book of Samuel about this man named David. Have you ever heard of the story of David and Goliath? Most of you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard the story of David and Goliath, right? The corporate world even uses the story David and Goliath, right? And they may not even understand where it comes from, but David and Goliath is a known story. But did you know that more than just this, and we all love the David and Goliath story, right? We all love this big corporate giant, right, coming in with all his strength and some, you know, grassroots, five smooth stones and a slingshot gets to destroy this huge giant. We all love that story, And David rose to notoriety because of what he had done. But did you know that before that, there was a lot of behind the scenes that took place between he and God? In fact, 
Today, our culture would say he was great because of his great feats. Jesus' culture would say he was great because he was a servant to his father and his brothers. Our culture would say this, David is great because he defeated a giant. God's culture would say he was great because he chose to serve his father and his brothers. We see in throughout David's life leading up to this that he was a man that played the harp for Saul. He served behind the scenes. Before he was greatly promoted, he was faithful. Hear me, church, when no one saw him. So we see... In the book of Samuel, chapter 17, verses 14 through 15, and then I'll jump around. It says this about David. David was the youngest son. Jesse was his father, by the way. Uh, and, and just so that you know, uh, he, was, he was the youngest of eight brothers, right? So he's the runt of the litter, if you will. Come on, young people out there. Come on, who's the youngest in your family? Raise your hand, right? You know what it feels like. Come on, you know. You know what it feels like to have that 10-year-old um, uh, hand-me-down t-shirt, right? Oh, but it's cute. No, it's got holes in it. <laughs> David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth, check this out, so that he could help his father with the sheep. I want to tell you something, and this is why they pay me the big bucks around here, so I can give you like the biggest revelation of your life. You ready for this huge revelation? Sheep stink. Like, they're gross. They're, they're kind of dumb. Uh, I've actually personally raised actual sheep myself. So, like, I know this. Uh, I'm telling you, like, they eat the bushes you don't want them to eat, okay, down to the root. And they jump over fences you don't want them to jump. And they graze in pasture you don't want them to graze. And you're going, dear God, you are so, mm, right? Like, you, they're, they're, they stink. You got to feed them. You got to shear them. You, I, I'm telling you, there is nothing. And I'm going to use this word in church, whether you fire me for it or not. There ain't nothing sexy about sheep. <laughs> Promise you that's the only edgy word I'll use in church today. Don't pretend you don't hear it all the time in the shows you pretend you don't watch. Anyway. <laughs> he could help his father with the sheep. His brothers are off to war, and he stays behind to help his father with the sheep. One day, verse 17, Jesse, his father, said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. By the way, my birthday's coming up in April. I love cheese. Um, so just want to let you know, if it's smoked Gouda, especially, like, so you got about four months to prepare it, okay? Just wanted to throw that out there. I'm the guy with the microphone, so I can do that. Anyway, give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. Goes on to say, so David left the sheep with another shepherd. So he's responsible and he set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. This right here was his setup to defeating a giant. My question to you is that when things start small and when the kingdom of God says when you start small, you become great, are you and I willing to actually live this out? Are we truly willing to be faithful in small things? What is at hand? What is in front of you now? Is it your children? Is it your family? Is it your work that you constantly complain about? Is it, is it the neighborhood you've been placed in? Is it this church that God's called you to to help him build? I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, all of you have been called to something. And when we refuse to see the greatness that there is in the small things, we sell God short in the process of what he's to do in our lives. Don't you ever despise the behind the scenes work. Hear me, church, that's going to mold you. It's going to shape you. It's going to sharpen you, and it's going to develop you. I'm going to say it again. The behind the scenes work should never be despised because it will mold you. It will shape you. It will sharpen you and it will develop you into a true servant of Jesus and people. When I was about eight years old, 
I knew from an early age, man, I loved music. And I, I eventually went to college and, and, and studied music. And, and I started playing drums when I was eight because I wanted to be a church drummer my whole life. That was all I ever wanted to do. In fact, I wanted to be, I wanted to go to college to become a music teacher, coach cross country and track, and then at my church just be like the best volunteer drummer ever. Uh, look at me now, careful with the prayers you pray, okay? So, so check this out. I, I'm eight years old and it was a small church, you know, small community church in, in the Portland area, and um, I so badly wanted a drum at this church. And mind you, my dad was the pastor of that church, so I had an in. And so I go to the worship uh, leader and I say, hey, I want to play drums on the worship team. I'm eight years old. I want to play drums on the worship team. And I'm telling y'all, I'm not, not to brag, but like, I was good. Like, I was already good. Like, I was, I'm telling you, like no ordinary eight-year-old. I'm bragging a lot on myself today, okay? I, I need to stop that. Anyway, I, I, was, I was decent, right? So I prepare, I start practicing all that stuff, and I remember this worship leader said, hey, in order for you to be a part, I need you to first faithfully serve the team for two years. I kid you not, y'all. This is like old school church. Some of you are looking at me like, wow, this happened. Yeah, literally. For two years, I had to be faithful every Thursday to show up to their practice, set up the stage. I had to learn how to dust the drum kit, wipe the, the, the cymbals, do everything, and then learn how to set everything up and then sit in the front row and watch for two years. For two years. And, and back then, people didn't really consistently show up to like fulfill their duties because there was no planning center. By the way, come on, shout out to all our volunteers that give us the green checkbox on planning center every, every week. Thank you for confirming that you're going to serve and we're not having to question whether or not you're coming. Anyway, that didn't exist back then, right? We're talking the early 90s. I get it. Early 90s, right? Uh, I mean, Nirvana was just beginning to make their debut. Anyway, and, and so, so I, I'm sitting there for two years, y'all, and these people, sometimes the drum wouldn't show up on a Sunday. So I'd be sitting there like, put me in coach, I'm ready to play kind of a thing. No, you're not ready yet. No, you're not, faith. right? Long story short, those two years, what they built into me, an attitude of service, an appreciation for what it takes to serve other people and not do it out of a selfish ambition, I wouldn't trade for the world. I'm telling you, the small things are gonna mold you they're going to shape you, they're going to sharpen you, and they're going to develop you into a true servant of Jesus. Yeah. Number two, when it comes to servanthood, I wanna encourage you, use what you got. It's not that complicated. Use what you've got. The book of Matthew chapter 20, 26 through 28 says it this way. It shall not be so among you, this is Jesus speaking, but whoever would be great among you must first be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Check this out. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve. I'm sorry, not to be served. I get it wrong every time. And that's a punchline. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Give, give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus have? He had his life. And what did he do? He used it. It's that simple. What did Jesus have? He had the answer to broken hearts. What did he do? He used that. What did Jesus have? He had, he had the power to heal. What did he do? He used it. And I'm telling you, if God himself, who's made flesh, God, right, is it, it made flesh through Jesus, if he himself pours himself out to the point of death, who are we to not pour ourselves out? You know, I, I, there's a theological debate out there. You know, Jesus, if you know anything about Jesus, you know that he was born, and then for 30 years, he kind of walked and developed, it was developed on this earth, and then for, from the age of 30 to 33, he did some ministry. He served people. He healed the sick. He preached. If Jesus' only mission was just simply to come and save humanity, why didn't he just come, die, be raised from the dead, and say, peace out? Almost as if he wanted to show us that those three years of ministry, this beyond just saving humanity, I want to set an example for you as to how you should live. I'm going from town to town. I'm going from people to people, and I'm meeting and fulfilling needs. What if Jesus was serious, church, when he said, we've seen him do great things, and we're going to do even greater things? What if Jesus was serious when he said, I ain't done yet? 
and he wants to use you today. But Tony, yes? I don't know what I have, okay. I don't know how to use what I've got, okay. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because just like I preached on last week on the value of community, I wanna tell you something. This is why the local church community is so crucial. This is why it's in the context of community. It's in the context of growth with each other that we experience opportunities to figure out what is in our hands, how we can grow, how we can learn and, 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 and develop in these areas, all provided within the context of the local church. This is why I'm a local church guy. Because it's in this context that you and I are refined. It's in this context that I find out, oh, you've got a need? Holy smokes, I can fulfill that. I can help you with that. And you begin to learn how to be developed. I want to say it to you this way. If you're wondering what you should do, where do I start? I want to give you three words that all start with a D. Very simple. Begin with discovering. Then develop. Then deploy. Begin to discover. Ask God, God, what is it in me that you put in me? What experiences do I have? And let me talk to you. You are not too young and you ain't too old to do this. I gotta say that again, because some of y'all don't believe me. You are not too young, and you're certainly not too old to do this. To sit with God and go, help me discover what is in my hands to do. And then go through a process of developing that. Be willing to be humble and teachable and moldable in that, and then deploy what has been given to you. It's interesting because I've been in full-time ministry for 16 years, and early on in the first seven years of full-time ministry, I always had side gigs. How many of you know that some people are just hustlers by nature? And I could not get rid of that hustle side of me, right? I was, I was selling vintage furniture. We were re, uh, restoring uh, old bicycles. I mean, and I was, so I was in full-time ministry and doing all that. And, and then we got to a point in our ministry where we were a part of a very well-established church, about 1,400-person congregation, multiple services. I'm one of 20 plus pastors on staff. I've got a 401k. I'm set, y'all. Like, I'm like, cool. I'm 24 and I'm killing it. Or I think I was probably 25 or something like that. And I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm set. Like, I, the, the lead pastor from that church was going to retire in the next five to 10 years. I knew I was in the running. And then I had this crazy idea of church planting with one of my best friends. How I many of y'all know that a startup church ain't got no money? <laughs> And so you know what I had to do is in addition to my side hustles, I had to go get myself a real corporate job for once in my life. So I'm Googling how to write a resume. I kid you not, you guys, some of you are looking at me like, I'm telling you, this is what happens when you go from Bible college to full-time ministry, and then all you do is hide hustles. You don't, you don't know how to like formally, you know, submit a resume. You know, some of you out there are hustlers like me. Help me out here. You have to Google how to write a, and submit a resume. And so I do, and you know what's interesting about everything that I put on that resume is everything that I had to offer in the workforce was developed within the context of the local church. It was so interesting for me to find out, God, you've been using the local church to develop things in me that I can even use in the workforce. So let me encourage you right now. Some of you aren't quote unquote professional Christians like myself, which is why we don't believe around here that there's Christian jobs and non-Christian jobs or that there's ministry jobs and non-ministry jobs. You are engaged in a ministry where the sphere of influence that God has put you in. Let me just say this very carefully, and I know it's the second service, which means we've got an online audience. And I just, I, I just wanna say this very carefully, and I, let me preface what I'm about to say, especially to our online folks, that I understand some people choose online church because of health issues, because of distance. I mean, online has been an amazing thing for us. We've even reached outside of the four walls of the church and gone into different states, different nations. That's beautiful. But being a part of a local community and serving it is going to be key to your spiritual formation. Why? Because Christians are not consumers. And I'm just going to tell you this right now. Sitting in front of a television screen makes me a consumer of content. Not a participant engaging in community. Are you seeing the difference? So love you online folks. For real. This is a great tool. But let online be your first step. 
Let, let, for those of us here, let online, it's not second best. Let's, let's let it you, let's use it as a lobby to welcome people in, but eventually they're going to, let, they gotta land in the community, y'all. Because you know what you can't do? You can't lay your hands on somebody and pray for the sick when you're sitting on your couch. You know what you can't do? You can't sit across from somebody and, and, and be engaged in corporate worship when the comfort, and, and I know I addressed this last week and I know I was a little harsh, but I just gotta say it. Do not allow the comfort crisis in which we live in to dictate how you relate with local church. Because comfortability is going to be your lazy boy, constantly, absolutely. And with the modern age that we have, absolutely, I can sit on my couch, I can fast forward through worship, because I don't like singing these weird songs anyway, and I can fast forward through all of Tony's terrible jokes, and then kind of get to the meat and say, I went to church. But we are not called to be consumers of content. We are called to be contributors in a family of God. Because last time I checked, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to build your 401k. I'm going to build your uh, 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 content. I'm going to build your name. I'm going to build your reputation. No, he said, I'm building a church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And guess, by definition, the church is you and me, my friend. And so when we gather and we begin to discover, develop, and deploy, nothing lacks in our midst when we all play our role. Where none of us go, this is below, beneath me, where none of us go, this isn't important enough because it's not up on the platform. And let me just tell you one thing that happens a lot, and it ain't going to continue, like Jesus said, not among us it won't is I know a lot of people that the moment their ministry or service is no longer on a platform, they're nowhere to be found. And you ask somebody, maybe that for years served on a worship team, to go and just hug on some babies once a week in the nursery. Uh, it's just, that's just not the way I like encounter God. Real Christ followers, apprentices of the way of Jesus, are not consumers, they are contributors. We don't watch, we engage. We don't just take, we give. We don't just sit in our comfort, we sacrifice our comfort. We don't just keep our wisdom to ourselves, we encourage one another. We pray with the laying on of hands. We live with and amongst each other as we journey through life. This right here takes place, as I mentioned last week, within the context of community, and that's all I gotta say. Last week, I kind of rushed through a point that I want to go back on, and that is found in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. Hey, are you getting something out of this today? Okay, good. So it says this, do not be slothful in zeal. Be servant in spirit. Serve the Lord. And it says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Because I'm talking to a group of people that have chosen to either check out Legacy Church or they've already called this their home, I want to let you know part of our DNA. Part of our DNA is we don't serve while murmuring. We serve with zeal in our hearts. I mean, now Tony's got the latest and greatest idea of going to two services. We were doing just fine with one. Like, we got to see everybody and like... Oh, cute tagline, uh, attend one and serve one. So now you want me in church longer. Do you want me to come to one service and serve at that? And now you want me to sit through another service? As opposed to, what a beautiful opportunity to create more space for people to hear the greatest news this world has ever heard. As opposed to, I get to partner with God. I am privileged. Though I am a sinner, though I am broken, though nothing I bring to the table is good without God, I am privileged to partner with him and pour into lives and begin to see, are you kidding me? Lives transformed. Right where we begin, I go, I give up my seat. I'll give up my parking space. I'll, I'll give up my comfortability for the sake of And so as a result, we serve with zeal, not murmuring. By the way, that, that example, it doesn't happen here. That's just a kind of a hypothetical, right? Like, <laughs> okay, I ain't looking at some of y'all. And I only know who you are because you're the one that elbowed the person next to you. <laughs> We're fervent in spirit. Look at this, fervent in spirit. 
That means we don't drag our feet. By the way, this is not a personality trait. Oh, you, you better write this down if you're taking notes. This is not a personality trait. It's a position of your heart, attitude towards God and others. It's not a personality trait that goes, oh yeah, I'm just outgoing and I'm just here and I'm, I'm here for it. Right, like I just love being in church and I just I love serving people. And I, no, it's not a personality trait. It is a position of my heart yep. towards God and people. Yes. And so as a result, I put my hand to the plow. Now I want to speak to something that's very real. I get it. Sometimes life is hard. Come on, can we all just agree that sometimes life can be hard? And so you're probably sitting here today, if you're in a hard season of your life and you're going, Tony, it's cute and all, you're sweating, you're screaming, you're doing your thing, but like, do you have any idea what it took for me to just get here today? And I get it, I've been there. I've also learned how to serve through seasons of brokenness. And I, I gotta tell you this, just be, ooh, you gotta hear this, okay. I just realized what I wrote in my notes, and I'm like, holy, watch, it's not going to be that heavy. Like, it's going to be real cool. <laughs> but yeah, I do. I, I think you got to hear this. Just because it's stretching and uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not beautiful. So many of us, so many of us sell ourselves short of a beautiful experience of growth because it's hard and it's uncomfortable. Can I tell you, I think I mentioned, I'm 34, so some of you might be going, you still got a long life to live, young man. I get it. Here's, what I'm, here's my true prayer and hope, is that my next few years are much easier than my first 34. Because, <laughs> and I get it, like, some of you may not know my full story, but from the moment I was born, I was doomed. Like, I was, I, I was born with two holes in my heart. So, like, I, before I knew struggle, I had to struggle. And, and from there, I've experienced loss after loss. I've experienced traumatic experience after uh, traumatic experience. I've experienced backstabbing. I've experienced, like, uh, now I'm not saying, like, I've had a terrible life, but, like, God has jam-packed a lot in 34 years of my life. I'll tell you what. And I've experienced the dark night of the soul. I know what it's like to truly believe this world would be better off if I didn't exist. Like, I've been in those places. I've been in places where my closest people to me have literally abandoned me. I've been in places where, where, where I just don't want to exist anymore. Come on, is that okay to say in church things I wish my pastor would say? Like, I know what it's like to bury two babies, right? Like, no parent should have to do that, right? I know what it's like to, to see pain, to struggle, to struggle with your identity, to not know who you are. And can I tell you, hear me, in my most painful and most uncomfortable moments, I've experienced the most beautiful things in my life. It's in the hardest of difficulties, that most gut-wrenching, open-heart surgery kind of moments that I've experienced the beauty of life. And let me tell you, my friend, I don't want you to be robbed of that experience. If you're here today and you're going, I'm going through a hard time, I get it, I'm with you. Beautiful thing is Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. And in addition to that, he allows you to experience what it is to pour into others even in your pain. This is why I tell the worship team, worship through brokenness. Are you kidding me? How do we increment? You know, you know those Sundays where it just feels like the water level is just high? I'm telling you, it's usually because these people are going through something. And you're worshiping out of desperation. Let me just say this too. You, you can serve anywhere. Absolutely. I think we're called to serve anywhere. But there's something that happens when you serve your local church. When you serve his bride, his house. The book of Chronicles says that when I set my affection on your house, this is what my life looks like. The Psalms, we read the psalmist was consumed with zeal for the house. And let me just go off here for a quick second. Oh, you can't tell me you love God and not love his church. You see, we're living in a day and age where we are so okay with like, this God thing is just like me and him. And it's just, it's just a personal thing, Tony. You wouldn't understand. That's a start. But last time I checked, when Jesus is approached by the Pharisees and they go, hey, explain to me 
this whole law situation. Like, explain to me the Ten Commandments. Explain to me. And he goes, it can all be fulfilled by doing two things, loving God and staying home and loving on him. No. Loving God and loving people. You cannot, please church, in 2023, where you are hearing a ton of messages where it's just you and God and you do you and you can experience God and absolutely you can experience God in your home, in your car, in your workplace, absolutely. But do not miss this. Do not miss that if you truly love God, you also love his bride and you love what he's building. And you cannot tell me you love God and not love and serve his church. I do got to say this as well. <laughs> I got I to gotta say a lot of things. We as a church, we serve with no strings attached. Okay? So for example, you know, this Christmas we had our outreach, right? Trunk or treat during uh, October, right? We, we do these things for the community and I get it. It makes us look really good on Instagram, like people that are checking us out, makes our website look great, blah, blah, blah. But here's, here's my problems sometimes in the church world. And I, I get this from pastors all the time. Like, this, guys, like, this is a normal thing. Well, that event had X amount of people, but, like, what is the fruit of it? Like, and they use Christianese like that, right? Fruit, by the way, is just, like, it's Christianese for, well, did any of those people start coming to your church or not? And so we do these outreach things, or we serve our community, and we do it with no strings attached. Not with the intent of how do we bait and switch them and get them into the doors of the church and how do we blah, 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 and then clean them up and then, and then now we've added to our numbers. Now, let me tell you, I believe every number has a name. I think every name has a story and every story matters to God and that's why they matter to us, absolutely. And some of you are here because we've reached out to the community. That's beautiful, but I want you to know our intention is not with strings attached. We don't serve with, with strings attached. And if you don't like that, ne- never mind. I'm just going to leave it at that. Mm. Yeah, I shouldn't. I stopped myself. Self-control? It hurts, you guys. Sometimes self-control hurts. Like it's hurting right now physically to not say what I want to say. So let's just move this thing forward. This also means that we don't hold back and we don't withhold. I'm going to land the plane here pretty soon. But some of you, you've got to understand that you have a role to play. All of you, if we are truly the body of Christ, we have a role to play. Uh, Did you know that anybody can be a couch coach, what I call a couch coach? You know what a couch coach is? It's what most of you are when you watch Sunday night football. Right? Like, you know way better than that person that gets paid way too much money to make those cruddy plays, right? Like, come on, right? You, you've watched games, and you're like, what is that manager doing? You have one job, and that is to make sure our formation's good, and our plays are good, and you can, like, I can do a better job, right? Tell me, come on. I, I'm a soccer fan. I only say soccer for, because I'm assimilating to you, but really, it's the real football. Thank you very much, because you actually play it with your feet. Anyway, the rest is American football. No offense to that, but anyway. You know, and I know, I get it. Like, I am way smarter than these guys that do this for a living, right? I, absolutely. That's funny, and it may be cute, and it may be comical, and all that stuff, but hear me, church, and this is a big warning right here. If we aren't careful, that seeps into the church world. And so then we become what I call pew coaches. Right, so we sit back in the comfort of our pews, and there's their latest and greatest idea now. Oh, and now he's telling us Vision Sunday. Oh, and you have no skin in the game. And, and any, I'm telling you, anyone can talk about what the church is or isn't doing right as long as they're not having to actually contribute to it. So I just want to warn you, don't, don't be that guy. <laughs> now I'm just going to ask you, church, let me just add to this that when we serve and when we understand that this idea that you have all been given something to contribute is important, it means we get into the game. We get off the couch and we say, put me into the game. And we do so with humility and teachability. 
So I bring to the table what I have because serving isn't just what I do, but it's who I am as a servant of Jesus. My question to you then is like, what do you have to bring to the table? What has God put in your hands? What life experiences do you have? Maybe it's, you're a musician, maybe you've got a house to open, maybe you've got families, maybe, maybe you've got education, maybe you've got, you know what, let me just make this very plain and simple for some of you that call this place your home. Do, do you have arms? Then you have arms to hold babies in our nursery. Like it's as simple as that. What do you have? Like it's not this ethereal thing like, oh I don't sing, I don't breathe. Like do you have a smile? Be, be a greeter at the front door. And it might be the only smile people experience all week long that walk through these doors. Right? Like, older generation, I love you. Like, you still have arms. You can still hold babies. Right? And if you can't, we'll get you a chair and you'll put them on your lap. <laughs> Young generation. And by the way, I, so, I got to highlight this. I am so proud of our church's next generation. Like, I am, like, I'm telling you, like, we see them serving on stage. We see them serving in the back of the booth. We see them serving downstairs. You guys have no idea. Like, half of the, the stuff that's stuffed behind your seats, those are all young people that come in early on a Sunday and do it. Right? Like, I'm telling you, there's just something that leans in and goes, they've gotten it. They, they've started to get that it's better to give than to receive. And that there's no junior Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, I had this conversation with my wife just this morning. I said, uh, during this vision series, we got to have the youth team come and take over again. Because they worship at a different level than we do. Like, I'm telling you, like, like some of y'all got to learn some things from this. Right? Well, what do you have to give? And I've told this story before, and let me tell it to you again, because I, I, not because I want to tug on your heartstrings, but because I, I want to drive home a point for you. We all have something. A couple years ago, Sophia and I, if you don't know us, we have five children, uh, and so our level of crazy, you know, kind of increments with each child, and so we stopped at five, so because I'm already crazy enough as it is, y'all. So here's the deal, we, ha we have five kids, right? And we're sitting uh, around the table one day, and I don't know if you know this, but Idaho, I love me some Idaho. How many of y'all love this beautiful state? You know, we pride, ourse we pride ourselves in families and, and in all, all this, you know, values, yet it is one of the least funded states for uh, uh, foster kids. And it's actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, but right now, as you sit in church today, and it's not to guilt you, as you sit in church today, there are hotels in downtown Boise that are filled with children that have no parents, and there's not enough home, foster homes to care for them, so the state has to pay hotels, and one adult does rounds throughout the day to check in on the kids. There's literally an, an epidemic in Idaho of foster homes. There's not enough foster homes, like... And it's crazy to me, y'all. I gotta say this. It's crazy to me how we can claim that we are such a family-oriented state, yet have such a lack in this area. And so given that information, Sophia and I were considering uh, becoming foster parents. Because why not? You got five kids, why not add more to it? We're already crazy enough as it is. And, and um, there was an opportunity that came to us uh, of five, and if you don't know me, I'm from Latino descent, and so I speak Spanish, I speak Portuguese, and, and so we knew that we, when we kind of submitted our information, we, we said that, and so there was this uh, family of four, four kids, ages eight through 13 or 12, that kind of those hard ages that nobody wants to take in, because everybody wants to take in babies, right? So that they can form them into what they, not like stinky preteens that you know have had no parents, right? Come on, let's just be honest. And these kids, like in their bio, man, like they wrote, we want a family that like understands our culture. And I'm telling you, if you don't know tortillas con frijoles y queso fresco, like you don't know life. I'll translate that for you. If you don't know tortillas with beans and queso fresco, that's the, that's the white cheese. And so, we're sitting at the table with our kids and, and we're telling them, these kids, like they, they don't have a family, they don't have parents. And uh, I kid you not, one of our kids looks at all of our kids and this is how simple it was for them. They said, we have parents, and yeah. Then why don't we give them parents? 
Like it was, it was that simple. Like what I have, let me give it. Like I have parents, mom, dad, why can't we give you to them? Like it was that simple. Now they wanted to get rid of us, I think, but. <laughs> and, and the beautiful thing is that we didn't end up getting chosen, a, another family got chosen um, and they're doing well from what we know. But here's, here's the moral to that story, is that what if Jesus was serious when he taught us to have faith like children? What if it was that simple? What is it that I have that I can give? What's in front of me that I can give? Here's my third and final point. I can't believe I'm making it to the third point today. <laughs> for real. <laughs> Thank you guys in the back. They're clapping for me. <laughs> Let's not lose any more time, okay? I can't feel too good about myself here. I got four minutes to end it. So if you can come on up to the keys, in fact. Uh, let me give you my third and final point today. You ready for this? No one, no one is too good for this. No one is too good to serve. Nothing is beneath us. Jesus, in the book of John, chapter 13, verses three to five, gives us one of the most beautiful examples of a person that says, there's nothing that I'm too good to do. This is God himself incarnate, and he says it this way. Look at how John prefaces this. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Because he prefaces it with who Jesus is. It says, Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So Jesus, knowing his status, it says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Jesus knew the authority he had, so what? Wait, wait. Jesus knew his status was above all things, and, and as a result of that, he said, I'm going to serve you. I don't know if you know this, but feet are stinky sometimes, y'all. Like, feet are kind of gross. Can I just, like, I know we live in a modern day where there's manis and petties, right? Like, and if you're, and guys, I'm just going to, like, expose a little something to you. If you're anything like me, you moisturize daily, okay? Like, I just do, okay? I moisturize my feet. I don't want them to crack. I got great feet. <laughs> I do, I just can't go get a pedicure because it tickles too much, okay? <laughs> but they didn't have moisturizer back then. Maybe some olive oil, that was probably the better moisturizing option. But these, they, these are people that walked everywhere in sandals and Jesus goes, I'm going to do what a slave should do. This is God. Come on. It's not just like, Jesus, some cute prophet and teacher. This is God himself stripping himself. It says he took his robe off and he does what no one wants to do and had been relegated to slaves to do. You know what's even crazier is at the beginning of John 13, leading up to this, it says that Jesus knew that Judas Iscariot had already decided in his heart to betray him. So not only that, can, can, just like do the math with me here. It's not just people he loves, it's people that he loves that he knows are gonna betray him. They're gonna stab him in the back. And he gets down and he sees around the table dirty feet and he goes, I, I'm gonna do this. Here's a drink, here's some food, here's a seat at my table. Now let me get down and serve you in a way that says, no, I'm not too good for this. This is a life we're called to, church. A life that prefers others over our privileges. I'm gonna say it again. We're called to a life that prefers others over our privileges. We're called to empty ourselves of ourselves and become servants of all. In God's crazy, weird, upside down kingdom, the first will be last and the last shall be first. And the greatest among us are those of us that become servants to all. Jesus is so clear in his message that these things that culture counts as less than or despised are actually the great things in his culture. And I just, uh, this is where I'm gonna end. We are a church that does not despise the down and out. We are not called to outcast people. 
In fact, we're called to embrace those that have been outcast. I don't know about you, but what if Jesus was serious when he touched the leper? What if Jesus was serious when he sat with those that no one liked? What if he was serious when he was actually willing to be ridiculed for partaking and drinking with sinners, eating with sinners? Come on. This is the life we're called to, church. If you're here today and you're going, man, I've never given my life to Jesus, or maybe you have before and you want to come back, let me tell you, what I just preached to you may sound hard. It may sound difficult. It may sound like, man, I got to give up a lot of things. But here's the beautiful thing. When you encounter Jesus, there is a love that flows out of you that inspires you to respond this way. Man, I was really hoping for some amens from some Christians in the room from that one. Because see, when you experience the grace and love and mercy of Jesus, you can't help but respond in a way that says, what can I do? And maybe, let me speak to some Christians here today, maybe you need that first love renewed in your life today. Maybe that's why your wells run a little dry because you've forgotten what you've been saved from. It says, to whom much is forgiven, they love greatly. So this is a heart of God that he wants for you and I to have for each other, for others. So this is what I wanna challenge you with today. What do you consider that's beneath you? In church, at work, in your neighborhood, in your homes, in your communities? You know, what's really cool is that the early church totally understood this to such a way that they had to beg their preachers to stop serving the widows and the orphans and to go back into their offices and pray and prepare the word. Like literally, they, like, they, like Peter and Paul, like they, were, like they were begged. Guys, we get it, you're serving. Let us serve and you guys don't, don't like, don't forget that you actually have to teach us the word and go pray. Like that's how much they got it. Like they had to be begged to go and pray. They didn't have offices back then. That was just a modern vernacular for you. So let me just do an invitation here today. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you're going, yeah, I I actually want, I would love to begin a relationship with Jesus. I would love to accept this free gift of eternal life that comes from a man that says he, he didn't come for me to just serve him, but he came to serve me. And as a result, I, I want to learn. I want to learn what it's like to serve other people. I wanna, I, I've been selfish for long enough. I don't want to live for myself. I get that it might be hard. And you might be here and you're going, I want to take that first step. Or maybe you've taken that step before and you've walked away. Now you want to come back. I just want to ask for every room, everyone in the room to just simply close your eyes. And if that's you today that you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to take that first step of following him and learning what it is to live for him. Would you simply slip your hand up in the air? Let me know that I'm praying for you. If there's anyone online right now, would you let us know? Somebody's in the chat waiting to to pray for you. If you're here today and you wanna come back to Jesus, you're saying, I've been away from him, I I wanna come back. Maybe that's you, would you slip your hand up in the air with every eye closed here in this room? Would you just simply pray this prayer here with me? Say with me, Jesus, I see that hand, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We say, Jesus, just repeat this prayer with me, everybody. Let's back this person up. Let's say, Jesus. I recognize that I can't go at this alone. I want to give my life to you today. I accept your forgiveness and I accept a new beginning. Please teach me your ways. Help me to never look back. And as I begin this journey, would you grace me and empower me to live according to your ways. I give you my life. I make you my Lord and I make you my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that was you that slipped your hand up, just wanna encourage you after the service, you can very discreetly head on over to the prayer corner. There's people there that wanna follow up with you and just walk you through the decision you just made. If that was you online, just let us know. We wanna follow up with you then. For the rest of you, would you stand to your feet right now? And let me just simply pray a prayer for you and then I'm gonna dismiss you. Father God, I thank you because you have called every single one of us to contribute to humanity and to community and to this world that you've created. God. 
Lord, there's no one here that doesn't have something to give. Lord, there's no one here that doesn't live in a neighborhood that doesn't need your love. There's no one here that doesn't uh, work at a place that doesn't need hope, that doesn't need someone that's willing to show them who you are. Father, there's no one here that has nothing to give. In fact, God, we've been given a lot, and now we want to give back to you and to people. Father, I pray that you would help us experience the benefits of a life of servanthood the joy of knowing that we're a part of life's being transformed, the character that's refined in us, the the growth that comes out of our hearts, the, the greater wisdom and understanding that we gain. Thank you, God, because the benefits is, is we get to be grounded. Lord, and that we get to experience what it is to, to give when it's, and we experience the reality, Lord, that your word says that it is better to give than to receive. And Lord, we become people that don't just say with our mouth, but we do what we say. I bless this people. I thank you for the fact that they chose to spend some time here this morning. I pray that you would do what only you can do in every heart represented here today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, uh, if you have some time and you still need prayer for something, you can feel free to leave your seat and head over to the prayer corner. There's people there that can pray for you about anything. They're trained to do so. They're not gonna be weird. They're not gonna you know, creep you out. For the rest of you, you are dismissed. I love you so much. I hope to see you again here next week at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m for our vision Sunday. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.